Good afternoon. Happy Friday. Happy long weekend for some of us. Not me, but that's okay. Couldn't be a more fun couple days to be on the job as the Toronto Blue Jays continue a four-game set against the Detroit Tigers, continue a very hot run and push up the wildcard standings and continue to feel out the trade market ahead of Tuesday's 6 p.m. trade deadline. You will hear no complaints here about not being off for the long weekend. What would I be doing if I was off? Probably watching baseball and keeping an eye on the trade deadline news anyway. So why not get paid for it? I'm Blake Murphy. This is Jay's Talk Plus. We're going to be joined by Caitlin McGrath, Sarah Langs, and Ben Wagner today as we look at last night's Toronto Blue Jays result, which even though it was the Detroit Tigers, got to be at least a little bit positive about because you say Kikuchi looked as good as he's looked all year. We'll take a look at tonight's game and the rest of this series where even shorthanded, the Jays will be monster favorites against the Detroit Tigers throughout the weekend. And of course, we'll keep an eye on some trade targets, some of whom are already in Toronto as a part of that Detroit Tigers bullpen. We didn't see him yesterday, but we might see him over the next couple of days. The Jays won last night, five to three, a bit of a sweat late, but they hung in there. You say Kikuchi, three base runners over five, good fastball location, good fastball volume. Danny Jansen demanding the fastball, keeping it pretty simple, uh, keeping Kikuchi on course there. I never know how much weight to put into catcher ERA, especially over small samples, but it's pretty clear that Danny Jansen has a really positive impact on the Jays pitchers. That's not to say Alejandro Kirk doesn't our pal, Chris black at down to black on Twitter has basically been doing running updates of the Jays monster record when it's Jansen or Kirk behind the plate. Uh, Less so when it's, Gabriel Moreno, which you'd expect maybe with a, a young catcher or a Zach Collins or a Tyler Heineman. Matt Chapman also hit two dingers last night. He's in full on peak Oakland Matt Chapman mode. Now we're going to talk to Sarah Langs about that because Chapman's season has been a fascinating test case in how much to value and what to look at in the stack cast data. Nobody better than Sarah to talk us through that. And of course, it's hug watch weekend. Keep an eye on those dugouts. Keep an eye on those bullpens. See guys saying goodbye. The old hug watch. If you know your local breweries, we won't give free promotion here, but there might be another hug watch going down over the course of the weekend. Some bad news, though, heading into today. It's not bad news, I guess. We'll talk to Caitlin in a second uh, about how worried we should be. But there's no George Springer or Bo Bichette in the lineup tonight. George Springer grabbing at that wonky elbow after a swing yesterday. Uh, Bo Bichette colliding in the outfield on a play he shouldn't have been doing that. Um, Yeah, we'll we'll talk to Caitlin in just a second about that. A couple small updates for you first. uh, The first one is a reminder that tonight's game on the television side is exclusive to Apple TV+. We'll have the radio broadcast for you here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Ben Wagner... And Ben Nicholson-Smith, first pitch at 7.07. But on the TV side, you're looking at Apple TV+. Plus. Other update, you may have seen Casey Candell around the Jays' dugout because he was promoted from AAA to 
assume John Schneider's old role. Jeff Ware has been named the new interim manager of the Buffalo Bisons down at AAA. Uh, he's a former Blue Jay. He's been in the system as a coach since 2015. He was most recently the AAA pitching coach. So there you go. Some updates there. You keep your texts coming in today, 2-5-95-90. What are you looking forward to this weekend? How anxious are you for the trade deadline? Are you buying Yusei Kikuchi's start? Let's talk about all that stuff with Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. Caitlin, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Is uh, I got to get the big update from you since it's a Friday evening of a long weekend. Is The, the dome's open, right? It is open. I'm standing in the sun right now. Perfect. So, yeah, fully open. Amazing. It was pretty overcast on my walk in here, so uh, I was a little concerned, but that is excellent to hear. Glad you're out there in the sun. You're active tonight. Not active tonight are George Springer and Bo Bichette. I know you tweeted out some updates from John Schneider's media availability, but give them to a give them to us here. Uh, is there some reason to be concerned about Springer and Bichette getting the dual off days today? You know, I would say concern level is still relatively low because neither of them were added to the IL, so it's still still day to day. On George, this seems just a continuation of what is probably going to be an ongoing elbow maintenance year for him. Um, it's something that's been bothering him for, you know, weeks now. And the Blue Jays and himself have just sort of been in a mode where they're just managing it, maintaining it, giving him these off days occasionally. And so the update from Schneider was that actually, uh, even last night, he said it kind of looked worse than it actually was. Um, and it was a kind of high impact game for George making some of those diving catches, some pretty big throws from center and also right field. Um, so just kind of like a, a tough game on him, on, on his body. So they were going to try and get an off day in the series anyway. Uh, this just happened to work out for them. With the bow injury, um, again, like I would say, I'm not too concerned yet because we don't have a, a ton of details on it. Maybe it's just kind of like sore shoulder after that collision, which looks scary. You're glad that it wasn't worse than it actually was. Obviously, they didn't make the out on the play, which is not good, but they got out of the inning, so could have been worse. Um, but yeah, just that sore shoulder, you know, you know, it has to be pretty sore. I think for Bo to miss a game because he's, he's a gamer. He play, he likes to play every day. He's pretty much had played every day. I think maybe in this one game or something, but, uh, yeah. So I would say concern level low, they still seem to be day to day, but you know, that could change. We'll, we'll probably get more updates tomorrow. Uh, and, and go from there. Yeah, I mean, George Springer's available off the bench. That's always a good sign. But that that visual of him grabbing at his elbow after a swing is going to stay with me for a little bit, I think. Uh, the Bo Bichette one, I went back and forth on whether, like, I was justified in being worried or I just kept remembering Kevin Pilar, Troy Tulowitzki from the other year. And uh, that, that kind of did it for me. Um, there were some positives beyond the injuries last night. You say Kikuchi. Activated off the IL, looked pretty good in his return. Uh, I know you wrote about it for the Athletic, Caitlin. What did you make of Kikuchi's first start back in a little over three weeks? Yeah, I mean, you have to think that it was a pretty promising um, sign from him. I think you also have to, you know, mention that we've seen him go out there and throw five, six good innings, and then he isn't able to follow up in the next start. So the, the key with him is just, can he do this consistently? And I think why the Blue Jays have been working on that delivery of his is just trying to unlock that consistency. If they simplify the delivery, um, if they sort of exploit or use his athleticism more, they think they can get him more consistent so that he's not, you know, uh, fidgeting with his arm slots, so he's not getting out of rhythm on the mound. So it's trying to simplify the 
delivery, and they think that that will help him with the command. And, that, and basically, it just all flows from there. And so I thought, like, just my sort of untrained eye, I guess, looking at his delivery yesterday, I thought that it looked really free-flowing, like every movement kind of flowed into one, whereas I think we've seen him look a little bit, There's sometimes there's a hesitation in his delivery. It's a little bit more like herky-jerky kind of thing. So I thought yesterday he looked good, but I think with Kikuchi, just the history of what he's done this year, I think you're going to need to see like two, three, four starts in a row before you sort of feel like, okay, maybe he has unlocked something. Um, but you know what? Better than better than he went only one inning or something, right? So it's yes. something to build off, right? Exactly. I'd much rather be talking about uh, a five-inning start where he there was a case to leave him in for the sixth rather than uh, what we'd been getting before. But you're right. It, it, this is... This is the trouble with Kikuchi, is, at least this year, is we've seen him turn things around and then it go the other way. And, um, you know, I was looking at, and it was the highest proportion of fastballs he's used in a start since back in May. And it was a high strike rate. And he was working the edges well, um, both by eye and statistically. And then I went back and looked at some of those May starts. It was like, yeah, he was doing that then too. And then he went away from it. Uh, so I guess we have to uh, look at a little bit more of a sample there. How much do you think Danny Jansen being back behind the plate for him helps? I know his overall numbers with Jansen catching aren't like bonkers good, but they are better. And it did look like Danny Jansen was pretty firm with them and consistent behind the dish last night. Yeah, and I think that's it. And I think that with Danny Jansen, he he's, he's not, you know, a, a quote-unquote veteran in terms of like he's been around the league for years and years and years. But on this team, he is the veteran catcher because they have such a young catching core. Um, he's the most experienced. He has done a lot of work and, uh, you know, getting the pitchers to trust them. And he, you know, he is the guy, I think, um, that really gets the best out of Kikuchi, or at least it's kind of seen that way so far. And, and some of that just might be his experience and the fact that he can be maybe a little bit firmer with him. And I think um, when you have a bit more experience behind the plate, then a pitcher is going to maybe say, okay, I'll do what you say. And not to say that Kirk or Gabriel Moreno, you know, weren't doing a good job behind there, but maybe it's just a different sort of communication or maybe it's just a different relationship with Danny um, and Kikuchi that sort of is working better. I I think actually like listening to your radio station and listening Hmm. to a guy like uh, Caleb Joseph, I've heard him talk about um, Danny Jansen's influence. And I think it's just like, you know, a catcher that's been around more might just have a little firmer touch or might be able to say, like, no, you're throwing your fastball. Like, we're doing it this way. And I think, like, when I listened to Caleb Joseph, it seems like that's kind of what he's seen as, as, like, maybe what's holding Kikuchi back is, like, maybe it's just be firmer with him. Like, just, you know, trust your stuff or let the catcher call the game. Um, and it seemed like he was doing that. And I think in May, like you said, he was doing that as well. And so you were going to need to mix things up because guys will adjust to you, obviously. But... Um, it definitely, like I said, that, that start to me looked like something to build upon, um, you know, using the new slider, using the fastball a lot, using the splitter um, really carefully and getting guys uh, to swing and miss at it. So to transition into kind of the topic of the weekend, as encouraging as that was, there's no way that whatever you say Kikuchi did yesterday, perfect game to you don't get one out. Um, there's no way that that could have had an impact on the Jays' aggressiveness between now and Tuesday, right? Like like the Jays would have to be in fully in, we need a couple starts of sample mode too? I would assume so. I think that they probably, like, I don't think it's a coincidence that they wanted to start him 
on Thursday rather than even later, just to give themselves more time to like parse through the information that they get from that start. And I even wrote in you know my piece last night, it's like, as you say, it's not going to really great, greatly influence their decision, but I think it's helpful to have as much information as possible and having the latest information on Kikuchi is just going to help them make decisions. But certainly they've got their trade deadline plans mapped out. They've been working on this for you know weeks, if not months, on what they want to do. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I think the Blue Jays are going to be aggressive. The, the, the challenge for them is that they've got to sort of weigh what, what matters to us most. What do we really most need? Because sort of the what you hear right now, and maybe the prices will get lower as we get closer to the deadline, but certainly what we're hearing right now is that the prices are pretty high out there. Even Ross Atkins said it to us a couple of days ago uh, on the record, saying, like, you know, the prices are high. You're going to pay a premium right now. And so if those – come down and the Blue Jays feel like they can address you know all their needs or a few of their needs but I think it's all going to sort of like depend on what do they need most if it was me I would say probably the bullpen um, but I would say maybe if you can get you know a, a starter a depth starter and then some bullpen uh, help that would probably be a really great outcome for their deadline but you have to sort of weigh how much is that going to cost and and how can we get as most in, as most impact we can um, while also addressing you know a few of our needs uh, Caitlin, you wrote the other day that this Jays surge has given them, and I'm paraphrasing here, but even more cause to be uh, aggressive ahead of the deadline. They're 10-2 and two in their last 12, 9-2 since making the manager change. Um, when you write that, is that a case of because we're seeing that, yes, that two-week stretch before that wasn't the real version of this team and the good version of this team is not too far away. Is that, is that kind of the idea there? And and I guess, geez, could you pick a better time to peak then? No, and I think it's also just um, giving, kind of rewarding your players for going out there and getting the job done a little bit. I think that was, um, it, it seemed like that a little bit last year, although I would say they kind of went on their surge as the deadline happened because they came back to Toronto and they started winning and stuff. But I think, like, just even talking to players, it's like the confidence boost when your front office goes out there and gets you a few pieces. It doesn't necessarily mean the Jays are going to be, you know, like, trading for the best start and all the best relievers or whatever. Like, we'll see what they actually get done. But I think that having adding a little bit to this team, raising the floor of this team, if you can, I think is only going to help and it's going to give the team a boost. And, yeah, I mean, how if you're a front office and you saw them score 40 runs or whatever against the Red Sox, like, how would you not feel like, yeah, this is a team, we know this offense uh, can be really good as a game-changing uh, offense. And I think you have to sort of look at that and say, we have an opportunity to do something special here. Let's, let's shore up our team in ways that we think we, we can get better. And that, that's the funny thing, too, is like now you look at the offense, maybe in May or whatever it was, we're thinking, eh, maybe they do need some lineup balance here. But now it's like, how, how, how can you improve this offense, right? Their numbers are right up there at the top of the league. So – Something that Mark Shapiro mentioned while he was talking to you guys about the uh, the Rogers Center renovations, and that's exciting, of course, on its own. Um, but within that, he talked about how that $300 million outlay, all privately funded, is a continuation of investment in the team. And within saying that, he also mentioned that, I mean, he used the word hope uh, over the next five days that that's apparent again. When you look at this front office's track record in terms of giving up prospects and then you 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 think back and it's oh well they gave up four for Matt Chapman and they gave up two pretty big ones for Jose Barrios does that budget comment from Shapiro make you look at these next couple days a little differently like like I don't 
I think probably, like you said, they'll look for the best deal in general. But I, I couldn't help but think, well, maybe they're more willing to eat money if it means a lesser prospect cost, given that they did just trade away six big prospects in the last year or so. Yeah, I mean, I think that they have room to add money this year, but they also have, like, I mean, in year in if you look ahead, their team is going to get start to get more expensive uh, as well, and so they do have to. And, and Shapiro always talks about this a lot, like sort of more like broad, big picture of like how you build a roster, and he's really big on like you build a ro- like there's different. You have to have sort of like different stacks, I guess, of like types of players on your roster where like that's how you have a successful team. So it's like you can't necessarily build a roster with like all high money, big money free agents because then you're not going to like be able to build a cohesive roster because everyone's going to be too expensive. So (laughs) they're really big on like having like sort of those like tiers of guys. So like you're going to have the prospects that are, you know, not making the pre-eligible guys that are not making a ton. You're going to have some of the ARB guys that are making sort of middle money. And then you're going to have some of those free agent big money guys. And so I think that this team has some flexibility when it comes to the finances. But I also think that they have flexed that a lot lately, and they have guys that are making a lot of money, uh, Kevin Gosman, Barrios, all those guys. And then you're going to have to look ahead, and like Vladdy's going to have to get paid at some point. Bo's going to have to get paid at some point. So they do have to start to be aware of, like, they're going to have to make sure that their roster is having those different types of players where it's, like, making a lot, making middle. Um, and then making maybe lesser money uh, in the grand scheme of baseball salaries, which is a lot of money uh, overall. But so, Caitlin, it is uh, this is the baseball version of Canada Day weekend. I don't mean to say that there's not baseball on Canada Day weekend. There, of course, is. But I've spent the bulk of my career on the NBA side, and there's always some time of year that you know you're locked onto your laptop and you can't do anything and even if you hit a patio you got to have the phone and the laptop out for the nba that's canada day weekend because that's when free agency opens this is the long weekend here you are going to be attached to the phone and the laptop all weekend i would imagine uh do you have a plan of action to get like a little bit of caitlin time in around that not really i mean i I will be traveling to Tampa on Monday, so maybe that sweet, sweet two and a half hours in the air, I can just relax because I can't be on my phone, and I will just be unreachable. Or that's when the trade happens. Exactly. Then I'm going to land. That's happened to me before, um, where I think you might remember when I was flying to Kansas City a few years ago, and I get a message from you about everything that went down while I was up in the air in Toronto, so... Naturally, I'm expecting to land in Tampa and have to write about massive trade, but we'll see. So if for anyone who doesn't remember, that was the 2019 trade deadline. Um, I was at the Athletic with Caitlin at the time, and Caitlin was already ahead in Kansas City, so she could be there for the actual deadline. And the Jays, three days before the trade deadline, traded Marcus Stroman to the Mets for Simeon Woods Richardson and Anthony Kay. Uh, reflecting on that trade, by the way, turning Mar- I-, I loved Marcus Stroman, but turning him into uh, a chunk of Jose Barrios is a, a nice piece of work there. Uh, but yeah, I got to be at that one and send you and John Lott the, the quotes and the scrums, and Marcus Stroman almost ran me over exactly Exiting the uh, exiting the the clubhouse after um, Caitlin on in your time on the beat. Do you have a favorite trade deadline memory or anything like that? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think last year is very memorable because it happened on the same day as when the Blue Jays returned to Toronto, um, and so we were like kind of it was a lot of ha- a lot of things were happening, um, and I'm not sure that I've ever worked like straight through the day the way they worked last year at the trade deadline because obviously they arrived back in Toronto and it was a big deal and they traded for Jose Barrios who was like 
basically at the time, I think one of the best starters on the market outside of like Max Scherzer. So that to me is a bit of a highlight, more so because of the other context that was going around it. And I was finally back at the Rogers Center for the first time in like a year and a half. Um, but that to me is the most memorable so far. So, okay, Caitlin, before I let you go, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and I'm going to ramble in the lead up here so you have a second to think about it. Uh, I'm going to ask you which player not currently on the Blue Jays will be on the Blue Jays come Tuesday night. And the the qualification I'm going to give here is we, we can look past the Soto Otani stuff um, because that's huge and, and that's a whole different conversation. Um, and I don't I don't want to put this on you as reporting. This is more like if we were doing an office pool or something like that and you had to pick the person you thought would most likely would be a J come 6 p.m. on Tuesday, uh, who's the name? Who? What square are you uh, ticking off in the, the office pool, so to speak? Okay, so I am standing in front of the Tigers uh, dugout right now, and I will say that it is kind of my dream to have a trade this weekend where one guy just walks yes. from the visitors dugout to the uh, home dugout. So maybe one of the Tigers relievers, Jimenez, but I will say that I'm going to say actually my pick here is a former Blue Jay, um, Anthony Bass, because he's on the Marlins right now. Uh, the Blue Jays have some good history with trading for relievers uh, with Miami. They got Adam Simber last year and Corey Dickerson in a trade that looks really good. Um, Bass has upped his numbers. He's a better strikeout guy. He's you know lowered his walk rate. Uh, I think he would be a useful piece for this bullpen, uh, and I think he's kind of a rental, so I think he has an option year next year, but so he probably wouldn't cost a ton. Um, I don't think that that should be the only move, but I just, if I had to pick a name, then I'm like, hmm, former Blue Jay, Anthony Bass is, is my name. I like it. Uh, sub two ERA, guy who can miss some bats. He stopped, like you said, he stopped walking guys, which why didn't the Jays tell him to do that when he was here? Just stop walking people. Uh, yeah, and then that team option for, I think, under $3 million next year. So uh, not a, that, that feels very Shapiro Atkins. So uh, we'll see. We'll see if you win the hypothetical pool, Caitlin. Um, have a great weekend. Keep up all the great work at The Athletic. Really looking forward to your breakdown of whatever does happen between now and Tuesday. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Talk to you again soon. Kayla McGrath of The Athletic, your second stop for deadline stuff after uh, sportsnet.ca, of course. Um, but, Caitlin, a lot of great work over at The Athletic, uh, as well as the Spin Ray podcast with our pal Drew Fairservice and Ricky Romero, who's going to be on Tim and Friends shortly. Not to tell you to tune out of my show to go watch TV, but uh, Ricky Rowe on Tim and Friends a little later uh, as well. So we, we talked about it with Caitlin there. If you missed the start of the show, no George Springer, no Bo Bichette tonight. That's going to be kind of the highlight item throughout the show today now, um, as well as the trade deadline. Both are day-to-day. George Springer is actually available off the bench if needed today, and he was going to have a day off this weekend regardless. But I'm not going to be able to get that visual out of my head for a little bit of him grabbing at his elbow after a swing. The Bo Bichette thing, we'll see. Those collision injuries tend to be hard to peg down, and we didn't get a lot of detail on it, but they said day-to-day. It's not like Bo Bichette couldn't use a day off anyway. Uh, he doesn't get many of them. It is just a little tough to have them both off on the same day, and then you have things like Zach Collins. Hey, remember him? Still on the roster. DH, hitting ninth. We'll see. Maybe 
Maybe he can find that magic that he had early in the year as well. I've used the stat a handful of times lately, including on the fan morning show, that 12 of the 13 Jays position players have been league average hitters or better this year. And that includes Zach Collins with a 96 WRC plus. Not quite league average, but we're talking a rounding error. He did not hit well in AAA after he went back down. And we have barely seen him since he came back up. Curious to see how that goes. Also have a fun look back for you a little later on. Uh, when was the last time the Jays used the DH in the number nine hole? It's pretty rare. Uh, we'll look back at a couple times that that's happened. Not too, too far back, but you got to go back at least 2013. Um, and then there were a bunch in the years before that, which if you remember those teams not being very good, that's how you end up with a DH hitting ninth. Let's take a break. Let's talk about someone who is not hitting ninth, but might be the best number seven hitter in baseball. We're going to go deep on Matt Chapman with Sarah Langs of MLB.com next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That is a nice little Taylor Swift cover by I Prevail. The Jays are playing Detroit. It was hard to come up with a Detroit tie. I usually do that at least once a series, uh, but you know, you're going Eminem, which is probably not radio appropriate. Kid Rock, who I, you know, I know 11 times platinum, but not exactly my, my cup of tea these days. Uh, and I think I used Jack White last time. So I was out of bands. I prevail. It is Taylor Swift cover. It is um, not my finest. The rest of the segment, though, will be great because we're joined by Sarah Langs from MLB.com. Sarah, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. I love hearing all the thought that goes into the song selection. That's awesome. It is. I, I do do it pretty meticulously. I try to find a song a guest likes or something to tie into the series. It's a long weekend here in Canada, so uh, the next two will be kind of you know long weekend vibes. Um, big day over there. Not a long weekend for you, I don't think, but a big day. How was the MLB Now show with Jason Stark and Brian Kenny today? Oh, oh my gosh! Thank you. Yeah, it was so much fun. I mean, for me as a researcher. Doing a show with Jason is like, as I tweeted, a bucket list item. I mean, it was incredible. I used to be one of his researchers at ESPN way back in the day. So, you know, for those tables to turn and to be sitting next to him or one down from him was really incredible. That's awesome. I uh, I can't wait to check it out. Um, so in your role, I, I know you are you do more than just research for MLB.com, but it's a lot of StatCast stuff and your, your Twitter account at s langs on sports is invaluable if you if you can't watch every game and you want to keep up with the most interesting statistical trends and especially the stack cast stuff in baseball and lately every time you tweet out the leaders from the night with the exit velocities and barrels and stuff like that it's blue jay after blue jay after blue jay uh are the jays just in that big a zone are you on the take from the jays what's going on here oh my gosh i mean i have uh I have no control over affecting those leaderboards. They're all true. 
but they certainly have been. I mean, you know, that game in Boston with the 20 runs certainly was a good day to dominate. But just in general, this team hits the ball hard. And, you know, I know Vlad Jr. hasn't had the season, you know, to live up to what he did last year. But he still hits the ball incredibly hard. And there's so many other guys on that team who do that. You might not fully be aware of it, even a guy like George Springer. It's not what you immediately think of with him, but he does indeed do that. So, to me, this is the offense they're supposed to have, and it's just a question of pitching, bullpen, and everything else. Yeah, and I, I know the, the gaps here are small, so bear with me, but... Over the last 60-plus days, the Jays are first in batting average, OBP, slugging, WRC+, plus, exit velocity, barrels, pretty much anything you could possibly sort by. Um, they're at number three for WRC+, plus on the season, uh, a hair behind the Dodgers and the Yankees. Do you, like, do you comfortably call this Jays offense a top three offense at this point? Are we saying more top five? Uh, do you think they have a case as the best offense in baseball? I, I'm not sure about the best offense in baseball, only because the Yankees with Aaron Judge, it's really hard to compete with that, and the Dodgers have so much depth. But I'm fine with top three, and I think they're right where I expected them to be. And I do think they have the ability to, on any given night, be the best offense. You know, maybe across the board throughout the course of the season, I do think it's probably the Yankees. But they can certainly hang with the Yankees in terms of offense. And it's great to see. I mean, these players are so much fun. Mm -hmm. And when they're hitting the ball hard and doing all this, you see the smiles. You see the home run jacket. You see all that. I mean, that's what fans, just fans of baseball, you know, aside from whoever they're playing, I guess, really want to be a fan. Um, so one of those fun names, and, and I know you you retweeted um, something from Apple TV Plus earlier. Apple TV Plus, of course, has the game exclusively tonight. Um, so if you're a Jays fan looking to watch, you, you got to fire up the free Apple TV Plus. It won't be on Sportsnet tonight. Um, but it, there was a graphic that showed Matt Chapman's performance over the last 10 days. And he's first in the league in batting average and second in slugging and OPS. Uh, pretty great 10 days for him. I know that Chapman's a guy that you've watched pretty closely because even when he was struggling, he was popping up a lot of the times on some of those stat cast leaderboards. What were you seeing from Chapman before that left you confident that this was eventually going to come around for him? It's really pretty simple. And I loved what you tweeted last night after, I don't know if it was after the first homer or the second homer, but that he is a great test case for the fact that when the guy is struggling, sometimes looking at Staka, seeing what's going on under the hood is actually even more illuminating. So he's a guy who has been hitting the ball really hard all year. His hard hit rate would be the highest of any year of his career right now. And this is coming off a year last year in 2021, his final year in Oakland. He was still kind of recovering from that shoulder surgery. And he wasn't really considered to be at his peak. He had his lowest hard hit rate. So why am I caring about hard hit rate? Because when you hit the ball hard, good things are going to happen. So this year in baseball, when you hit a ball hard, which is 95-plus mile an hour exit velocity, you're going to hit about 480 on that batted ball, 
and slug in the 900s. So that's why we care about that. And the fact that he was doing that, even throughout some slumping periods, told me that there's more here and he's very likely to break out. And that's exactly what we've seen. We have seen that. And the hot stretch, I mean, it's it feels weird even calling it a hot stretch. The last 10 days have been something else, but he's been kind of ramping it up and up and up. Now he's at a 466 slugging on the year, a 119 WRC plus. So about 20% better than uh, a league average offensive player. Once we can control for a whole bunch of factors. Um, That's not quite 2018 when he was an MVP candidate and, and tore the cover off the ball all season long, but it's pretty much in line with his 2019 before he suffered that hip injury. And he had 36 home runs that year. Um, What do you think is a reasonable baseline for Chapman from here? It's a really good question. I mean, as you said, he hasn't necessarily done this all throughout his career. But if you look at that 18, 19, 20 stretch for him, and I know he got hurt in 2020 and only played in 37 games. But he was a consistent 500 slugger for three straight years there. And it was something that I really loved because everyone thinks of him with the defense. And he was able to say, yeah, I'm really good at their base, but I can also crush the ball. So I don't think it's unrealistic to expect him to be in that range, you know, 475-plus slugging, all of that moving forward, not just this year, but just overall in his career. I like that. And uh, I had a friend text me, my friend Alex texted me yesterday and asked if I could quantify, you know, is Matt Chapman the best number seven, seven hitter in baseball? And that's a hard thing to, to quantify because most guys, if they hit really well in the seventh spot, they'll get moved up in the order. Um, he has just way more plate appearances as the number seven hitter than anyone else in baseball. But I went through it. And whether you look at WRC plus or, you know, we got to acknowledge that Chapman's a really good third baseman too. He's been worth 2.4 wins above replacement based on fan graphs metric. Um, the next highest among number seven hitters is 1.7 this is such a luxury for the Jays offense. It feels like um, I don't really have a question off of that because again, I don't expect you to know, you know, every batting order in baseball on average, but um, can you think of a seven hitter or a team that's had that kind of depth through number seven over this chunk of a season? Like we're a hundred games in now. You know, the only other team that comes to mind for me is the Dodgers. And I don't know that they have a single consistent guy, but that's a lineup that at its best can be really, really deep. But I don't think there's another player in baseball playing, you know, batting seven as consistently as him and being this good. And that's just because of what we were talking about before with how good this offense is. You know, the Yankees lineup is very top heavy. You know, they just acquired Andrew Benintendi. Joey Gallo probably going to play a little less. That was an acquisition for batting average. Fewer strikeouts, but a little less power as well. But there is not another lineup like this where this guy is going to be hitting seven and I'm staring at a stack test page with a ton of red. I mean, that <laughs> does not happen in any other lineup right now. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the Yankees because I wanted to go there next. Uh, They add Andrew Benintendi. And as you pointed out on Twitter, they now have three of the lowest strikeout guys in baseball in 
Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, uh, Andrew Benintendi, and DJ LeMahieu. And I'm curious. Obviously, we we think of the Yankees, we think of power. Aaron Judge, every day you have to tweet out a new thing of like, here's Aaron Judge on a leaderboard with Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, and Roger yeah. Maris. It's incredible. Um, but it does seem like the Yankees' strategy around those guys has been to focus on ball and play guys. Um, what do you think goes into that? And why are they maybe zagging in those spots when teams seem more willing than ever on average to, to have high strikeout guys in the lineup? I think part of it is that, uh, you know, they are very, very lucky to have a guy like Aaron Judge in that lineup and having him hitting home runs and being an overall really good hitter certainly puts them in a position where they can make an acquisition like this and say, yeah, he's plugging 399, but we don't care about that. We want him to get on base, be on base for when Judge hits that home run. So I do think it is a purposeful uh, kind of acquisition there, and that's why I love the kind of Falafa deal uh, when they got him and Jose Trevino in the offseason because this is a guy who wasn't wanting to strike out. And, you know, I live in the New York area. You hear talk radio, you hear everything. Fans hate strikeouts, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether front offices are okay with them these days or whatever else, everyone hates, as a fan, to see a guy go out there and strike out in a big spot. So when they got Isaiah Kiner for left, I remember going on a show and saying, Fans are going to love this guy. He's not (laughs) going to hit a home run. He's not going to swing and miss. So I do think that they're aware, you know, analytics department, everything, the way these teams are run, that you need guys to get on base. But overall in the postseason, the power is important. But they're lucky enough to have both sides in that way. I mentioned uh, your Aaron Judge updates in terms of, hey, walk-offs and this many home runs. And uh, the only two guys that can really threaten Aaron Judge for, you know, this, whether it's stat cast lookups or baseball reference, play index lookups, whatever, are two guys who are the hottest names on the trade market in Juan Soto and Shohei Otani. Um, how much fun is it for you when you're doing the research side of things to just try to put those two guys and Aaron Judge in historical context. Oh, my goodness. It is so much fun. I mean, so on MLB Now earlier, we were talking Watt Soto. Producer jokingly to me goes, hey, you think he'll have a note or two on him? And, of course, I have like five of them in my mind without even looking them up. But it's just so much fun to have these generational talents. Again, that's really what Soto is. Shohei Otani is, of course, in his own category, way past papers, whatever you want <laughs> to say. And Aaron Judge is probably going to be the first guy we've seen hit 60 homers since 2001. So each of those guys really doing special and unique things this year and always. Yeah, always is right. Um, so it is kind of fascinating that two of those guys are – reportedly at least a little bit available in trade. You won't get hung up on for asking. Uh, Aaron Judge is also a a pending free agent. So three of the, you know, most original hitters that we have in baseball and and in Otani's case, a two-way player uh, could conceivably on the move. I I gave you this question. I did you uh, a big favor here, Sarah. Obviously you're coming on my show. You're doing me the much bigger favor, but I have 
dropped this question on people a couple times this week without letting them know ahead of time. I gave you a heads up, so you've got a, a, an advantage here. But the Nationals and the Angels call you, and they say, we'll give you Juan Soto or Shohei Otani, and they ask for the exact same package of prospects. So it's the exact same trade. Which one do you pull the trigger on? Are you making that trade for Soto or Otani? I think it's Soto because I I know Otani is incredible. Of course, I've come on here and spoken with you and so many others on this station about how great he is, especially amidst the MVP race last year. But to me, with Soto, there is, first of all, a year and a half more, or I guess a year more of control uh, based on when each is hitting free agency and he's younger. So I just think there's a little bit less risk there. So if it's going to be the same price regardless, I would say you're getting a better deal for Soto there, theoretically. It's a, it's a tough one, though. Hair splitting, of course, um, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, one more as we whip around the AL here. Um, you know, we can look at the standings, and obviously the Yankees and Astros are, are well ahead, but this AL wildcard race has a lot of not just good teams, but fun teams. And we're looking at teams like the Jays, the Ascendant Orioles. Um, you know, the White Sox are still fun, even though they've underperformed. And J-Rod and the Mariners. Um, is there is there a team in that bunch that you are kind of hoping goes on a run or adds a piece at the deadline just because of the fun factor? I mean, for me, I think it would have to be the Mariners. Also, with the fact that they have the longest playoff draw in the majors right now, I want to see them succeed. I want to see 21-year-old Julio Rodriguez in the <laughs> postseason. So anything they can do, I think they need a bat or two uh, because he's pretty much their only slugger right now. They're really good at play, good play discipline, all of that. But he's the only guy who's really crushing homers for them right now. But if they could do that, maybe a pitcher or something like that, we know that Jerry DePoto has the ability to be very aggressive in the trade market at any time. I would love to see them make some acquisitions, go on another run. I mean, I don't know how you beat winning 14 in a row, but even, you know, <laughs> 10 of 12, that would be pretty good too. Yeah, it'd be fun to see it, and you're right. Uh, I know everyone got the kind of Julio Rodriguez experience at All-Star, but – Getting to see that in a three-game wild card series uh, would be a lot of fun too. I, I would prefer it to not be against Toronto. Uh, I would prefer Toronto to be clear of that. Um, but you know, there's not going to be an easy landing spot. I think uh, Sarah Langs, thanks so much for coming on with us and making the time. Um, enjoy the next couple of days of chaos heading into the deadline, and keep up all the great work at MLB.com and the MLB Network. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Sarah Langs at S Langs on sports on Twitter. A lot of great stat info, stat cast stuff. Um, also, it's one of the most fun Twitter accounts because she just loves baseball so much. And I think sometimes people don't want to let that show in their Twitter accounts to the same degree. Uh, but it's very, very fun when Aaron Judge is hitting a million walk-offs and Julio Rodriguez is getting called the best baseball player one of his teammates has ever seen. And uh, and yes, when the Jays are this hot and they are breaking the StatCast metrics regularly, it's a lot of fun. Will the Jays break the StatCast metrics tonight? I don't know. They're playing against a 
guy coming up from AAA who was a reliever for the most part in AAA this year and Brian Garcia. The Tigers, not the uh, deadliest of teams. We're going to talk to Ben Wagner at 6 o'clock. But before we do that, I've got the lineups for you. No George Springer. He's dealing with that right arm vagueness. We saw him grab at it yesterday after a swing. We know it's something that he's gotten extra off days for. John Schneider told reporters before the game that it's just a day-to-day thing. There's not a lot of concern. He's actually available off the bench if they need him. But when you see a guy grab for his elbow like that, and it's something that's been recurring for most of the season, you're, I think you're justified to be a little worried about it. Bobachet's also out. Left arm for him, left shoulder. Uh, he had that collision yesterday. And, I mean, he was probably due an off day sometime soon anyway, although the team's off on Monday, so maybe they could have managed around it. Uh, but I think, you know, if if you're on the fence about whether a guy needs a day when he's played 98 games so far on the season and your team's played 99, I think you can justify giving him a down day. It's just a little unfortunate they come on the same day. That's all. So with no George Springer and no Bo Bichette, that's your leadoff hitter and your four hitter. How do the Jays line up? Kevin Biggio gets the leadoff nod against Brian Garcia. That's a pure OBP play. 351 OBP for Biggio on the season, 354 career. That's a get on base and see a lot of pitches so Vlad can get up there behind you and knock you in. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., of course, hits second where he's locked in now. Alejandro Kirk at catcher hitting third. Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Matt Chapman. They all bump up one slot with Bo out. So my talking point of Matt Chapman being the best seventh hitter in baseball. Uh, he's the sixth hitter tonight. Sorry, Alex. Uh, that one's that one's toast. Uh, behind Chapman, Rymel Tapia hits seventh and plays center field. Santiago Espinal moves over to shortstop with Bo getting the day off. Biggio will play second. And Zach Collins will be the designated hitter hitting ninth. Did you forget Zach Collins was on the team? I did not, but you couldn't be blamed. And I will never remember if Zach Collins is with a C or or with a CH or a CK. I just looked up the basketball version of Zach Collins as I was looking for his game log. Wrong guy. But Zach Collins had a nice stretch with the Blue Jays earlier in the year. Provided some left-handed power at a time when there wasn't a lot of that in the offense and they really needed it. Had some big moments. Went down to AAA, struggled a fair amount. And since he's been back with the club, he has barely played. He got two plate appearances in that 28-5 victory over the Sox. That was July 22nd. He got one at bat on July 1st. He was a late game replacement on June 26th. That's it. That's what you're looking at over the last couple of weeks for Zach Collins. So uh, if he comes in and he's a little out of rhythm, who could blame him? How often have the Jays used a number nine hitter or used the DH spot on a number nine hitter? Because you think you're using the DH spot. That's supposed to be someone who you want to hit higher up in the lineup. You're either getting one of your regulars a day off their feet or you're putting someone in there who doesn't bring a ton of defensive value, so they better be able to hit. 
It's been a while. The last time the Blue Jays did this, September 10th, 2013, Kevin Pillar got a DH day, went 0 for 4 in the nine hole. Your outfield that day, as someone pointed out to me on Twitter, and I don't have it in front of me, so apologies to that person, but it was Rajai Davis, Anthony Ghost, and Moises Sierra, and then Kevin Pillar at the DH spot. Uh, not surprisingly, the Jays were 10 games under 500 at that point. That's uh, that's not what you want to do there. Uh, a couple other times that's happened recently. Munanori Kawasaki had one in July of that year. David Cooper did it in 2011, as did Jay Pierencebia, Mike McCoy, and two-way legend and Canadian Adam Lowen did it a couple times. So, uh, yeah, the worse your offense is, the more likely it is some random just ends up in the two in the uh, number nine spot as a DH. It's generally a bad sign. In this case, it's just a sign you've got two of your top four hitters out on the same day, and Zach Collins would probably appreciate getting to play uh, once in this last month or so. Uh, so Zach Collins, DH and number nine. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Ben Wagner from down at Rogers Center, see what's up down there, see what he thinks of Yusei Kikuchi's start last night. And we're going to talk Matt Chapman. We talked Matt Chapman with Sarah Lyons. We're really going to go deep with uh, Ben Wagner. And then we'll get around to letting you know a little about Brian Garcia and the Tigers lineup tonight. But Ben Wagner next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. One hour left here before we kick it over to Ben Wagner and Ben Nicholson-Smith. 707 first pitch on the Sportsnet Radio Network. A reminder, that's the only place you're going to hear a Sportsnet broadcast of tonight's game. It's an Apple TV Plus exclusive on the TV side. Uh, So if you're watching on TV, make sure you fire that up. It's free so you can check it out still. Um, Or just listen to our next guest. The voice of the Blue Jays on the Sportsnet Radio Network. It's Ben Wagner. How are you, Ben? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Gotta ask you, how off guard did having to call an Alejandro Kirk potential stolen base attempt catch you yesterday? <laughs> uh, I was very much caught off guard <laughs> with that. I, I, uh, I actually chatted with John Schneider about that on the field earlier today, and I, I said, I know you guys are talking about you know being aggressive and taking an extra 90 feet if you get a good read on a ball, jumping out of the turf. I said, but um, what about that aggressiveness last night? <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, yeah, yeah, there are sometimes maybe we don't want to do that aggressive. But, uh, but you know what? In 24 hours, we saw Albert Pujols take off <laughs> and try to steal a base. And then last night, Alejandro Kirk hits the accelerator. <laughs> I think Vlad had and, and one on the weekend, ten. too. I know Vlad has Vlad a little bit did. more history of yeah. that. But, yeah, on the weekend, he had one, yeah. too. Vladdy's good for a sneak attack once a month. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's entertaining. Not bad. Yeah. Alejandro Kirk hadn't attempted a stolen base since 2019 in high A. So, uh, yeah, I think you were okay well, to be well, caught well, off guard. Well, listen. Listen, the dirt is faster in Dunedin 
There you that's go. Why, <laughs> that's why the time in between. Uh, um, <laughs> all right. So you mentioned uh, you spoke to John Schneider about that a little bit. Um, how much have you talked to him or others around the team about this increased aggression we've seen from the Jays on the base pass? It's nothing wild or anything like that, but it certainly does seem like they're trying to push it a little bit more these last couple weeks. I've talked a lot about it. I've talked with Luis Rivera because from a third base coaching standpoint, you know, does that trickle down to his decisions on whether or not to send runners um, around second, fourth, third, around third towards the plate? And also, I've asked John Schneider, you know, repeatedly about it. I said, now you've got a chance from a managerial standpoint to not only institute aggression, but then reinforce that kind of aggressive nature as well with guys taking extra bases and he's very you know he's very mobile in that dugout it's not like your traditional major league manager of old yesteryear where you just sit on the bench and go into a corner and you just kind of facilitate the game john's really active you know he's talking with players he's putting his arm around guys we've seen it with vladdy and Bo and alec manoa over the last couple of weeks uh so schneid's Schneider's actively having these conversations, and they're talking with players about that. And and it goes against the Blue Jays every now and again. Remember the other night where Vladdy tried to go first to third? He made it to third base and popped off the bag. But, you know, you got to be sure. you got to be sure is kind of the message in those situations. Um, so this is something that the Blue Jays want to make their brand of. They they're definitely want to make their brand about these things. But it's not only reads and calls by Luis Rivera and John Schneider, it's putting a little bit of emphasis onto the shoulders of the player, too. And that was indicated, and I think it was game one against the Cardinals on Tuesday night. Bo hits kind of a soft humpback liner into shallow center field. He's going up the first baseline, and then the ball lands right in front of the center fielder, and it jumps out of the turf. And this is a pretty spongy rug that the Blue Jays <laughs> will play on. So Get the read of a ball popping out of the turf. And if it's a a defender that is close by about, let's say, a yard, maybe six feet, if you're that close to a ball that drops on the outfield turf, uh, Luis Rivera told me the Blue Jays have this mindset of taking the extra 90 feet. Because by the time you get the read, the defender reacts to that ball. It comes back down to him, likely going to catch it flat-footed, and then they have to make an accurate, strong throw. And by that time, the Blue Jays feel that they can sneak that extra base. It might be first to second. It might be a double that turns into a triple because of a read like that. Or it That's might, the stuff that I love to see. Or it might be Matt Chapman scoring from first on a single when yes. uh, when he's in motion. So I, yeah. I like that. I, I think it can put a defense on their toes, certainly a pitcher on their toes. And then it's something, you know, we've talked over the, the last maybe two years about this lineup not having a ton of stylistic versatility necessarily, but that's another way to pressure a defense. That's another way to score runs and take edges. So, you know, the times the power dries up or whatever goes cold, it gives you uh, another way. Um, one more from last night, the... The Kirk stolen base attempt aside, uh, the biggest point of point of note from last night, of course, Yusei Kikuchi looking pretty solid, uh, more fastball usage, more in the zone. What did you like from what he showed you, and, and what does he have to show you, or how many times does he have to show it to you before you start to believe again? Because he did do this briefly in May as well. 
Right. I, I like the rhythm that Danny Jansen and Kikuchi had last night. That's first and foremost. And I talked with Jeno on the field before the ball game, and I said, all right, if you have your, your wish list, what does you say Kikuchi do tonight uh, outside using all the fundamental changes, the change in the, in the whole delivery, the slider grip that got tweaked just a little bit, just a little bit. It's not this dramatic thing. But they want more depth on the slider. I said, are we looking at the pitches or are we looking at obvious results? But what gets you to that point? And he said, I want the guy to be confident on the mound. I want an established rhythm. I don't want him overthinking when he's out there on the hill. And I thought Danny Jansen did a really good job of keeping the cadence of Yusei Kikuchi up and making him feel like he's going to throw a ball with conviction. And for me... More than any other pitch with Yusei Kikuchi, it's about that fastball. It's it's not necessarily something that has to live on the corner knee high time and time again. He can spot it, and when he throws it with conviction, it gets a little natural life at 96 and 97 miles an hour. Other guys that try to throw hard have maybe their fastball flattened out. Kikuchi's not that kind of guy. And talking with Jano, I think that they checked a couple of boxes to make last night a win. A win in moving forward and a springboard for Yusei Kikuchi. Let's uh, let's hope that's the case because if he can get going a little bit and, you know, we'll see what happens at the deadline, but that maybe gives you the option eventually to, to push Stripling back into a swing roll or uh, it's one of those good problems if you, you go out oh, and get is. something and then uh, you got too many pitchers uh, going at once. Um, listen, listen, if the Blue Jays get a consistent Yusei Kikuchi, just consistent, what can you rely on? Can you rely on five and maybe a couple of runs every night? That's a good thing. That's a win for the Toronto Blue Jays. That's like grabbing a four or a five off the trade market. Think about what this alleviates if the rest of the way the Blue Jays can rely on four starters and maybe then think about adding another one. I I definitely think they're in the shopping market for a starter, but the emphasis has to be on swing and miss and power stuff in the bullpen for the Blue Jays. Uh, And it might all come together really quickly at the trade deadline for Toronto. But uh, having something in the terms of consistency and reliability in Yusei Kikuchi is a massive win moving forward. We'll touch on those relievers in just a second. Um, we got to turn the page to tonight, though. Uh, no George Springer, no Bo Bichette. They're both getting downplayed a little bit. I don't know. The George Springer elbow thing, the way he looked last night, were, were you as worried as I was in the moment? Yeah, absolutely. In the at-bat, when you saw him really grimace, and that's the biggest reaction that we have seen from him from a pain threshold standpoint, right? We have seen him kind of shake out the elbow before on the bases. He's been slow to get up after a couple of swings where he takes some vicious hacks. And he's, he's max effort, man, at, Oh at yeah, the plate. He, he, sw- he swings hard. Um, but last night, that body took a beating. And he made a diving play in center field. In that inning alone, he had a couple of challenging plays. There was a couple of very long throws that he had to make even before the at-bat. So I think last night was a little bit of a snowball effect on the abuse of that evening versus a couple others that uh, ultimately, the last month, it's been pain management with this elbow. He's clearly dinged up. He's clearly hurt. Last night uh, was, was an easy maneuver for the Blue Jays, one, to get him out of there but then also get him the off day that they were planning on having him have against the Tigers at some point, either Friday or Saturday. I think this was in the plan anyway, but this is this makes it put in ink now to get him an off day. 
For sure. And on the Bo side, um, I don't know if you heard differently from Schneider or anyone else. To me, it just it struck me as uh, he took a bang yesterday and he's only had one game off all year. So why not be cautious? Um, was that was that the feeling around the team pregame? That's my read on it. Yeah, yeah. being in the clubhouse a little bit, that's my read on it. Uh, he did get clipped a little bit, kind of landed on the turf awkwardly as well. And it's just, all right, Bo, you know what? Frustrating night, frustrating play. Only had one game off, and he has had literally what three days off. Yeah, going back to the start of 2020 or the injury with the knee when he came back from 2020. I mean, it's he's in the lineup each and every day, so uh, everything's going to ache. Everything's going <laughs> to, you know, feel feel a little creaky at times. Yeah, even at, at he's going to feel years our age. age. Yeah, he's going to yeah. feel our age <laughs> yeah. at twenty three. Yeah, yeah. So because of those two absences, we get a little look at a guy who, I don't know, did you remember Zach Collins was still on the roster? Yeah, you know why? Because he's one of the best dudes to talk to. Oh, in the that's clubhouse. great. Yeah, he's got a great sense of humor. He takes batting practice almost every day, even on the optional days he's out there. So he's a, he's a good dude to have around. And you know what? He, he spends a lot of time catching bullpens with guys so when guys are working on stuff uh zach collins zach collins is really active active in the day parts with the guys that necessarily aren't in the limelight that day zach collins is working behind the scenes so he's he's obviously like the backup quarterback or the third string quarterback in this scenario he's going through all the meetings he's going through all the prep work he's going through all the the drills you just don't see him all that often, right? Yeah, um, it's it's great to hear you say that. And your sometimes radio partner, Caleb Joseph, like that year he was with the Jays and then the year after with the Mariners, he referred to himself as the vibes coordinator. So you're just yeah. kind of helping out wherever you can, even if you're not getting in there. Yeah, I, I don't want to call him Captain Clipboard, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you're the officer of vibes, that's a good role to be in. That's definitely a good role to be in. Caleb was certainly that. Yeah, So we so since... June 19th, that was Zach Collins' last uh, appearance with Buffalo. He has, so that's that's going back, we're talking 40 days. He has appeared in three games and has three plate appearances. Did you talk to him at all about, like, I, I know you said he takes a batting practice every day, but what is that going to feel like for him up there? That's, uh, that's a long layoff. A, a little weird. Yeah, a little I weird. But, but this, is, uh, this is one of the emphasis of of the Blue Jays about preparedness and readiness. And you hear the word activate thrown around a lot in the Blue Jays clubhouse. And that activation is something that happens for everybody. It doesn't matter if, you know, you're Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and you're supposed to have the day off. All of a sudden you're looking up at the scoreboard. You think, all right, sixth inning, one run game. I've got to get my body ready just in case Schneids points at me to get a pinch hit here. Everybody is playing that game and trying to, trying to flip the script a couple of innings ahead, and Collins is doing that. He'll go down and he'll take some dry swings in the batting cage. There's always a level of preparedness for each of these guys, even though they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. So this is why Zach Collins, you know, a guy can come up and jump into the lineup and hit a home run. I think he's done it twice. Yeah. I think he's jumped into the lineup and actually hit home runs twice, and he's got four of them on the season. Yeah, and uh, I'll tell you, I'm – in prepping for this show today, I am well aware that Zach Collins to hit a home run is plus 475. If you are someone who likes to go to the game and look at such things, uh, it feels like a, a, a scenario. So the other 
The other effect of no Springer and no Bobachet is Kevin Biggio lead off, and then everyone else kind of slides up a spot through the middle of the order, which means my talking point from this morning on the morning show uh, that Matt Chapman is by far the best number seven hitter in baseball, no longer true. He's up to number six. Uh, he might be the hottest hitter in baseball right now. Is he doing anything different up there? Are we just seeing, hey, he's stuck with the process, and now the balls are going where they always should have been going for him? Well, he had a lot of the bad luck, right? Yeah. I think that's what you're indicating here yeah. from early in the season where he had a lot of hard contact, hit a ton of balls that seemingly just kind of fell on the warning track, and you're thinking, man, off the bat, it'll look good. Or he hit a frozen rope, and the shortstop was in the mo- in the way. He did. He had a lot of bad luck and solid contact, and that's why the Blue Jays weren't necessarily worried about Matt Chapman, thinking that he would finally get a little luck to fall on his side, hmm. pick up some base hits, but also the fact he was having pretty good and quality at-bats. That, th- that gets thrown around a lot, have a quality at bat. But the amount of pitches, his control of the strike zone is what the Blue Jays were still encouraged by. Now, get out of the first couple of months of the season, get in right there towards the tail end of May, start of June. Chapman did a couple of things specifically in his routine. And in that routine, he was searching for a bat path that felt more natural to him. I had a great conversation at the cage with him a couple of weeks ago about the exploration of this bat path. And it has to do with a couple of things mechanically, but also with that bat path staying a little bit more fluid through the zone, keeping the elbow tucked in and the hands a little bit closer to the body at the same time. And that's improved his bat path. And it and it has to do with every pitch that he sees. Breaking balls, fastballs, uh, big hammer curve balls like Adam Wainwright was snapping off at him <laughs> the other night. And, and, and also the big thing that he was talking about just recently with Dave Hutchins and myself at the cage is he found a rhythm where his swing felt n- not like a Bobachet air it out, not like George Springer, you know, where that takes those vicious hacks. He said, if I can get to a space where I feel 60%, in my approach at the plate and then driving the barrel of the bat through this path, then let the, everything else just happen naturally with the finish. You get that hard contact, then you get the explosion, and then the finish. That's where he feels the most comfortable right now. It, it's it's weird to think that, oh, by slowing down, you actually feel better. Not playing at 110 miles an hour, like we hear guys you know say all the time. That's a little bit different of a mindset for Chapman. And by slowing it down, by having this more patient approach and bad path, this little bit of a drive and slowing down the body, and it starts with the foundation from the ankles to the knees and then to the hips, trying to keep everything moving at 60%, slowing it down, feeling a little bit more comfortable, softer in the batter's box. That all plays into this, and we can see now the production, right? Look, Just look at the last week. He's got an OPS that looks like an enviable SAT score <laughs> at 1,600, 1,600. So, I mean, the, the this is obviously a massive process. It's taken about a month to really come to fruition. But right now, Chapman putting all that work in the cages with the T, the high velo machine, getting it translated then onto the field of play, this is the result. And this is definitely by far and away, by far and away, the best Matt Chapman that the Blue Jays have had. Absolutely. And you you have to go back to that near MVP level season in Oakland for the last time he looked this good for, for this extended a stretch. And, and everything you laid out is how you end up 
up, you fire up the StatCast page, and it's all bright red. 90th percentile barrel rate, 96th percentile exit velocity, 98th percentile hard hit percentage. The other thing that stands out to me there, and I'm curious because you do talk to Chapman so much, if you've got a sense of the way he thinks about or strategizes at the plate, he came into this year having a pretty high strikeout rate the last two years. He hasn't walked as much this year as he has in the past but when you look at his swing decisions I know that's a buzz term around the Blue Jays developmentally the swing decisions he chases pitches outside of the zone less frequently than almost anyone in baseball is that a something he consciously works on is that just a Matt Chapman sees the sees the game better what goes into basically not wasting swings Uh, I think health Health is a big thing. He's had the wrist injury. He's had the hip hip injury. Uh, That was a massive, massive setback for him. And this year, he was really excited coming to the Blue Jays. But more importantly, it was the off-season training regimen, regardless of where he was going to play. He felt more excited about this year than he had in the last three because of the off-season training program that he put himself into. He said, for the first time, I wasn't recovering from something or worried about something creeping back up or while going through this training program, an injury that happened and then slowed me down and I felt like I was starting from fresh at some point during the off-season. So I think that plays a lot into it where he's just a more stable being. He's a really disciplined player. I mean, watch him defensively. Mm -hmm. You can see that. That ripples then into the plate and the plate obviously then into the defense. So that sort of discipline, that sort of command is Matt Chapman to a T. But when it comes down to uh, you know, one night, is he going to chase more than, than the next? No. I think he goes to the plate with an absolute plan and an approach into that game. And, you know, he's a little bit further in his career than a lot of Blue Jays. So he's okay and understands maybe a little bit quicker to make the adjustments. And I think that's why the plate discipline is is reflective of the numbers that you just put put out. It's it's been fun to see and, and nice to see it come around uh, for him and it's certainly the lineup feels a, a lot stronger when he's in the seven hole hitting like he is. Uh, sorry, go I ahead. asked AJ. No, I asked AJ Hinch about that yesterday yeah. when I was talking with him, the Tigers manager. We were in the dugout and I, I was asking about Matt Chapman and he said, you know, I've I've been tormented by this guy for a really <laughs> long time <laughs> from the other side when he was in Houston watching him with the Oakland Athletics and, and he talked about the length of the lineup and he said the big boys are in the top four or five, you know that they can do a lot of damage, but now you've got an all-star hitting eighth in Santiago Espinal who's having a really good year. Numbers are not quite as hot right now as what they have been over the course of the early part of the season, but still, this is a really, really long lineup that puts a lot of baseballs in play. And when you get baseballs in play, things happen. The defense has to move. They have to react. There's base runners on. And the Blue Jays, right now, more than any season since really 2016, in this pocket of play since John Schneider took over, are more aggressive than they have been in quite some time. And they're creating a lot of havoc. Did you get to ask A.J. Hinch why he's not letting us see the good Tigers relievers and, and you know, get one last scouting report in ahead of Tuesday? No Soto, no Fulmer, yeah. no Jimenez. I, I signed up for a four-day showcase, A.J. Uh, and he said, you know what, he takes a lot of – he takes that comment and showcase and, you know, the atmosphere around the Tigers right now basically being sellers – and he twisted around and he said, we put ourselves in this position because it's about winning ball games. If we won more ball games, our talent 
wouldn't be showcased and sought after by other clubs that are winning ball games because we know we have good players. We can change the way things are being done in Detroit by simply just winning ball games. So he understands it, and he was also reflective of it. He said, I've been fortunate enough to manage some really good ball clubs, and I know what John Schneider is thinking over there. They're thinking about adding just a couple of key pieces to really secure a bullpen, a rotation, or a lineup and make a ball club that's really good right now even that much better. But, uh, yeah, they, they don't certainly joke about it on the Tiger side. <laughs> what are these, uh, before I let you go here, what are these next yeah. couple days like for you? Because you are the most prepared man in baseball uh, from having sit next to you a couple times when you're doing the broadcast. Uh, you got to keep an eye on you know the tweets you gotta you gotta have scouting reports ready for uh any potential acquisitions is this just like you just embrace the chaos these next couple days or what i do i love this time of year i love it obviously when the blue jays are winning remember back in 2019 we're on trade deadline day we're in kansas city and guys are leaving the bullpen mid-game because they got swapped and that was an afternoon tilt uh, it's much better to think about the additions over the last couple of years that the Blue Jays made. And we were here at Rogers Center last year when Jose Barrios was acquired. I worked the phone lines like crazy this <laughs> time of year. I love not necessarily to have a pulse on who could go and who's going where, but use my resources to get the snapshot, the up-to-date scouting report. I'm talking to scouts. I'm talking to my colleagues in other cities, you know, writers that I know. Clearly, the other broadcasters, the other TV and radio guys are great. You know, we love to talk shop and play play a backroom general manager uh, about moves and the way things <laughs> could happen. And I'm watching box scores, too, especially in the minor leagues at the upper levels where if there is a move to be made, you know, what's the prospect pool that's going to be dinged? If anybody noticed, Gabriel Moreno and Jordan yep. Roshans were out of the Buffalo lineup the other day, and I noticed that. So, listen, you, you got to tuck somebody in the organization, you know. Hey, are, I see this. Are we reading too much into it, or is it just a day off? Do you expect him to be back in the lineup tomorrow? Well, guess what? Today is tomorrow. Gabriel Moreno's going to DH. Jordan Groshans is back at shortstop. Yeah, so I, I we, got we asked about answers. that one a bunch, too. And Groshans yeah. looked more like Moreno had, hasn't caught three consecutive days in a couple months now. So that one, I was like, oh, I can explain that one. The Groshans one was a little tougher. Um, ben, in the interest of letting you continue making those calls and preparing, uh, <laughs> I'll let you go here as much as I'd like to keep you on. Um, yeah, and you got Ben Nicholson-Smith beside you for the weekend. So at least you got a little help if the chaos hits. Oh, uh, we yeah. I've got my go-to resource sitting to my left. Uh, I mean, this guy is as locked in as anybody else in Major League Baseball. Uh, so uh, we might have the breaking news. There you go. Actually breaking news this weekend if a deal goes down from Ben Nicholson-Smith. I mean, he is wired in. The big news, is it another glasses day for Ben Nicholson-Smith or is it a contacts day? We, we get little uh, it, glimpses of you guys in the booth sometimes. It, it appears to be a contacts day for BNS. Huh. Contacts in today, Ben? He's locked in right now. <laughs> He's reading. He's prepping. He's not paying attention to this babble. All right. Uh, I'll let you do the same. I'll let okay. you do the same. Thanks so much for taking the time out, Ben. Great chatting, Blake. Be well. Ben Wagner, uh, voice of the Blue Jays on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Again, Apple TV Plus game tonight, Friday Night Baseball there. It is free to check out, but the game will not be on Sportsnet for you. Uh, so Apple TV Plus or Ben Wagner and Ben Nicholson-Smith with Show Ali. Uh, down there at Rogers Center with them. And show's also got Jay's Talk post game tonight. Um, so that's the trio if you're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, let's take a break. Let's go through these lineups. And we're going to take a look at the whole weekend series. We're going to look at an old friend. 
Drew Hutchison getting the nod tomorrow. I will go through the lineups, tee up the weekend series, answer a couple of your texts at 590-590 next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. Jays Talk Plus. Happy Friday. Happy long weekend. Happy Great Big C. First concert I ever went to. Great Big C. All time good vibes album. The album Play. My dad took me to that one. First concert I ever went to. It's a lot of that this week because uh, I played Bare Naked Ladies yesterday and I actually made Arden's Welling feel emotion by playing The Old Apartment, uh, which. I wasn't 100% sure Arden could do. Uh, Bare Naked Ladies were my second concert. So look at this. Maybe we'll do a week where I'll just go through all the concerts I've been to. Big update. Uh, Ben Wagner just texted me. Ben Nicholson-Smith is now in glasses. He made a late game switch from contacts to glasses. I don't think we'll get a look at them in the booth tonight. Because as a reminder, it's an Apple TV Plus game tonight. No sports at television broadcasts. We will have Ben Wagner and Ben Nicholson Smith on the Sports at Radio Network, 707 first pitch, show Ali with them and doing Jay's talk post game. With Ben Nicholson Smith post game. Busy day for Ben Nicholson Smith. Not too busy a day in the text line. I'd imagine that's because it's the Friday of a long weekend and you all have better things to do, but we do have a couple things in there. So let's, uh, let's take a look. Scott in North Vancouver. What's up, Scott? Those Vancouver Canadians. We need your take on them. We need the update. What those guys look like in person down at the Nat. I can't go off of just, I know North van is not the same as van, but I can't go just off the box scores and it's only, it's only you and cam. Those are the, those are the only two I hear from. So, Uh, We need that scouting report. But he asks, I keep hearing that deadline acquisition prices are high, but then I look at the returns for Ben Intendi and Tyler Naquin. What am I missing? And I had responded to Scott in the text line and said, hitter market versus pitcher market. So basically the Ben Intendi and Tyler Naquin uh, acquisitions are kind of, Ben Intendi will play more than a fourth outfielder, but they're fourth outfielder type acquisitions. And what we've heard a lot so far is that it is a seller's market, but that seems to be much more the case on the pitching side. We'll see. We'll see if there's a big market for Wilson Contreras or Josh Bell or something like that. Uh, but the the part-time or third to fourth outfielder market doesn't seem to be that robust. And, and to be fair, the the Naquin one, they, they picked up a lefty reliever in that deal. It was for two prospects. No one to get too, too excited about. Ben Intendi was for three prospects. Anytime you're picking up three prospects, even if they're not top 20 guys in that org, that's a lot of prospect capital. Um, we talked to Keith Law yesterday about the Royals kind of prioritizing pitching in their system over overall value, and that's 
in my opinion and in Keith Law's opinion, not a particularly good way to go about things. It's pretty short-sighted. That could be a weakness, could be a strength very quickly if one or two guys break through. Um, anyway, all that is to say, Scott in North Van, that I think the pitching market is taking a little bit longer to develop for a reason. And it's buyers waiting to see if the price comes down and sellers waiting to see if they can get those bidding wars going. Someone didn't sign one, but they said that they would take Otani over Soto in the hypothetical I gave Sarah Langs earlier. So both those teams call you. It's the exact same trade package. Which one do you take? Sarah chose Juan Soto. Drew Fairservice was on earlier in the week, and he he turned his back on his boy Shohei Otani and chose Juan Soto. This person says they would choose Otani. The two birds with one stone is too much to pass up. And he thinks that he would be, he or she, I don't know who this this person didn't sign their name, um, would be likelier to re-sign with the Jays after. I think either of those guys are far enough out for free agency that you just try to get them in and, and convince them. But uh, I think maybe that's it for hypotheticals on Soto and Otani because there's going to be real trades that happen. Daryl and Cordes asks if Gabriel Moreno is untouchable at the trade deadline. No such thing as untouchable to me. I would say, though, that it has to be a trade that meaningfully changes their World Series outlook. I think you're probably better off in terms of a pure value play and roster balance play moving one of your three catchers in the offseason when you can kind of take a longer approach to that roster build and play out the contingencies and the trickle downs. The other thing I'll say is Zach Collins is starting tonight. We all like Zach Collins. But we've talked to a handful of people around the team, including our own, you know, Shy Ben and Arden, who think that Gabriel Moreno might or will probably be back up with this team when rosters expand in September. And especially if you look ahead to the playoffs, Moreno's back down in the minors right now because developmentally that's what makes the most sense. And you don't want him sitting on the bench a handful of days the way Zach Collins has, where he has three plate appearances in the last 40 days. In the playoffs, that doesn't matter nearly as much. The developmental time's over, and you just want the best roster out there. It's possible Moreno factors in then and lets you do this Kirk Jansen juggling with an extra, you know, an upgrade on Collins. Although, the team could prefer Collins just because of the left-handed power. I don't know that they trust him behind the plate enough, though. Um, so we'll see. I don't think Moreno's untouchable. I just think the type of deals we've heard talked about with the Blue Jays are not the type of deals that they would put Gabriel Moreno in. I don't think they'd put him in a deal for Luis Castillo. I don't think they, I certainly don't think they'd put him in a deal for relief pitching help. I think you'd have to be looking a little larger than that to convince them to put him in a deal. Tim and Stony Creek asks uh, what I think of Bo Bichette. It seems like he's unhappy. Is anyone else noticing? I think he's just a, a tough guy to read and his mentality and approach are a little different. Like I, I think it just stands out in contrast to how gregarious a lot of the guys on this team are. We had way back in the, I think the first or second week of this show's existence, we had June Lee of ESPN on and he'd done a big feature on Bobachet's mental approach and how he's handled the mental side of the game and how that's fit in 
to this Blue Jays clubhouse dynamic. And it actually, it came across to me in those conversations that it's a good thing because you want to have different leadership dynamics in a clubhouse. 162 games is a long season and the same voice or the same approach or the same tone isn't always going to work for 162 games unless things are just going incredibly, incredibly well. Having one of the faces of your franchise be the guy who's at the park first every day, who is taking it a little more seriously. He puts on the jacket, but you know he's not quite the same level of uh, having fun at the end of the dugout. I, I think it's healthy to have a mix of guys like that. We'll see. Maybe, maybe there is something there. I just, I, the unfortunate thing, I love doing Jay's talk plus so far, um, but it does put me in a position where I can't be down in the clubhouse and on the field level because the time that Jay's talk plus airs is when those things are open. So I don't, you know, I lose the reporting side where I could tell you specifically um, you know, this is, I talked to Bo about this or, or this is the vibe. So I apologize for that, but that's my read on it. Uh, Steven from Newfoundland via Barry, Steven or Stefan, I'm not sure which, uh, just says way to go by for playing great big C. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Get the buys in there. Uh, Claire in Toronto asks, I need to know why Zach Collins is still on the bench. Couldn't they have a pitcher or someone else up there? He's there for weeks and not played. Uh, Claire, they could not have another pitcher up the, so earlier in the year, this wasn't the case. Because there were allowances around, you know, COVID and expanded rosters and things like that. Um, You're actually not allowed to have more than 13 pitchers on the roster uh, at a given time. So you couldn't bring a a pitcher up for him. Honestly, I think the answer here is the Jays aren't going to use their last two bench players very often anyway. We've seen Otto Lopez up, Vinny Capra up. Those guys didn't play at all. This team has a really strong top 11 and having two bench guys that you trust to play a couple different positions and rotate in and out means you don't have to use guy number 12 and guy number 13 too often. So what the Jays have done with that is they've prioritized very specific utility. Bradley Zimmer can come in and play a good center field and pinch run when he's not getting picked off. I would probably aim a little higher with that spot, but that's the reason for it. They, know that they're going to want to do a defensive substitution sometimes. And they think Bradley Zimmer has more value in a tight game than a better player who could start once every five days for, you know, like if you're taking Tapia or Lourdes Gurriel Jr. or Teoscar Hernandez out of the lineup right now, why? You don't need that guy who's going to play a little bit more. I do think that upgrading the Bradley Zimmer spot is something that they'll probably be looking at between now and Tuesday if the cost is uh, low enough. The Zach Collins one is all about Alejandro Kirk's bat. It's baseball dogma that you don't really want to have your catcher, your backup catcher in the DH spot because if your starting catcher were to get hurt, you then have to put an emergency guy in there or lose the DH. This is overstated. How many times this year has a catcher gotten hurt in a game? It do, it's not a very likely scenario. But what it lets you do is it lets you have that extra catcher just in case. And it lets you say it's a day like today where actually this is not the best example. Say it's a day like yesterday where Kirk's DHing and Jansen's in the lineup and a really tough righty comes in and you want to pinch it for Jansen with one of the lefties off the bench, Biggio or Tapia. You can't do that comfortably if you don't have another catcher there. Say Jansen gets on base 
and you want to pinch run for him. You want to bring Bradley Zimmer in, try to get something going on the base pass. You can't do that as comfortably if you don't have the other catcher, if Kirk's at, at DH. So it's not the... Basically what it is is this team has 11 guys that they think can play pretty much whenever. And with those last two spots, they have chosen to go with very specific skill sets rather than just the best 13 players they can. Uh, Mike Pearson, uh, I don't, I don't understand what your text was about, Mike. I'm sorry. It's something about access to the getting to the stadium. I can't help you out with that one. Uh, I apologize. Connor from Keswick says one of his favorite trades is Danny Jansen, the Astros for one of their, their controllable starters. Uh, it's a win-win solves both teams needs. Again, I think it's more of an off season thing. I do think the Astros are particularly interesting at the deadline because now that Lance McCullers is on his way back, they have seven starters, not seven aces, but they have seven guys who could start games for you. I think the Jays value Danny Jansen's defense and game calling too much to pull him out of this in the middle of the season. Maybe I'm wrong. Teams would really value Danny Jansen. A lot of teams. You look at all the contenders. The Jays have three catchers uh, that you'd love to find time for. And basically every other contender has none. Um, That's not entirely true. The Yankees, of course, uh, Jose Trevino has been a fun story, but Martin Maldonado is one of the biggest dead spots in a lineup that there is. Um, No news on Conforto. MP and Scarborough asks, uh, no, nothing that I've seen. I believe at last update, his vaccination status was in question as well. Um, that would be relevant to the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Dave from Barry, I understand your text, but we're not going to read that one out. Um, it is a reminder, though. Apple TV Plus for the game tonight. Let's take a look at the lineups. Let's see what we're doing. By the way, Jays enter this one 55 and 44, 11 and a half back of the Yankees. Good little cushion in the wild card, though. It's building. You win 10 of 12 as teams around you start falling off. The Jays now have a four and a half game cushion uh, over the last team out. The Rays have dropped six of 10. The Red Sox have dropped seven of 10. Making up some ground. Here's how the Jays will try to get to Brian Garcia tonight. <laughs> Shaking with Brian Garcia. Kevin Biggio leads off and plays second base. Uh, that's because George Springer's out of the lineup with a day-to-day right arm thing, which surely you've heard about a lot by now. Uh, he is available off the bench, though. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Alejandro Kirk catches and hits third. Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Matt Chapman all slide up a spot because Bo Bichette's out today, a left shoulder thing. He's also day-to-day. Rymel Tapia gets to start in center and hits seventh. Santiago Espinal moves over to shortstop with Bo Bichette out. Zach Collins becomes the first Blue Jay since Kevin Pillar in 2013 to hit ninth while being the designated hitter. It's also the rare time that the Blue Jays have three lefties in the lineup. You just really don't see that often from them. They probably don't need a ton of offense tonight because Alec Manoa is on the hill. But just in case they do, here's the scouting report on Brian Garcia. 27-year-old righty. He was primarily a reliever in AAA this year. He's made appearances for the Tigers each of the last three seasons. Uh, 67 innings over 72 games, 6-12 ERA, and the peripheral stats that back that up. Down in AAA this year, 
He's thrown 40 innings over 31 appearances, 290 ERA, so not bad. But his peripheral stats down there scream regression. He does not miss bats. He walks too many guys. Um, low, like the swinging strike rate is okay, but it's hard to strike guys out even with bat missing stuff when you don't have command of the strike zone. He only recently moved back into the rotation at AAA. He's thrown eight and two-thirds innings over three appearances with four earned runs. This is a borderline bullpen day coming off of a day when the Tigers had three relievers throw 18 pitches or more. So it could be a bit of a thinned out bullpen for them here. The Jays have not seen Brian Garcia very much. Zach Collins is 0 for 2 with a walk against him, and that's it. They have, however, seen some righties with good hard sinkers lately, but not great secondary stuff. Brian Garcia is a 94-mile-an-hour sinker. He'll throw a slider, a slider to righties. Uh, that is his best and maybe only weapon when it comes to getting swing and miss. If he could ever get locating with that sinker down in the zone, the slider could actually be a decent wipeout pitch, but he catches all of the plate with that sinker for the most part. He'll then throw a change up the lefties. It's nothing special. It should be a good night for the Jays offense. We've said that in the past and it hasn't played out that way, but Brian Garcia is a triple a opener getting the call up here who does not have much track record at all of success. Here's how the Tigers are going to try to counter and how they're going to try to counter Alec Manoa, Riley Green, Victor Reyes, Javi Baez, Harold Castro, Jaime Candelario, Willie Castro, Jonathan Scope, Tucker Bernhardt, and Akil Badu. Alec Manoa has the Tigers number. He hasn't faced them a lot recently. But 21 plate appearances against this group of Tigers, 38% strikeout rate, and a minuscule 210 expected weighted on base average. Uh, that's the stat cast stat that takes into account strikeouts, walks, and quality of contact. He faced them last year and gave up two earned over six and a third, but he only allowed five base runners in that game and had eight strikeouts. He struck out Miguel Cabrera three times. Maybe not a surprise then that Miguel Cabrera is not in the lineup today. One thing to watch with Manoa, for the, for the first chunk of the season, he was a little bit more fastball heavy. Um that's not good or bad. It depends what you're locating that day. The benefit of having four pitches is you can mix them up. He has gone almost stripling levels of I'm going to throw all my pitches evenly and you have no idea what's coming and I can throw anything in any situation. Over the last month, all four of his pitches have been thrown at least 18% of the time and no more than 31% of the time. Fastball, slider, sinker, change. Good luck figuring it out. Alec Manoa remains toward the top of the league in most Stats, including most stat cast stats. So good, by the way, that I was looking at his Pagoda projections for the rest of the season on baseball prospectus today. His 20th percentile outcome. That's low. That's like almost a, everything that's gone wrong has gone wrong. Outcome is a 397 ERA the rest of the way. That is unbelievable territory in terms of rest of season confidence from a metric. That's how things go tonight. Tomorrow, you're going to see Ross Stripling against old pal Drew Hutchison. He's back. He's hanging around. It's nice to see. You always want to see a, an old friend do well enough. He's got a 484 ERA this year working as a swingman for the Tigers. Uh, another guy who 
walks too many guys for someone that doesn't strike a lot of players out and he doesn't have a great strikeout rate. You have to think the Jays will be up for that one. Although there aren't many Jays, if any, left from the Drew Hutchison era. So maybe there won't be anything. Uh, it'll just be on the fan side. Sunday's expected to be Jose Brios against Garrett Hill to round this one out. Jays in pretty good shape here to make work of the Tigers and stay hot. They've won 10 in the last 12. Monster minus 350 favorites tonight. Absolutely no value there. Um, but lets you know that the market is as confident in the Blue Jays as you might feel when I read out that lineup and I read you the Brian Garcia scouting report. Of course, the other thing we'll all be watching over the course of the weekend, tonight, tomorrow, Sunday, keep an eye on that Tigers dugout and that Tigers bullpen. It's hug watch weekend. Guys are going to be getting traded. Guys are going to be getting pulled out of games just in case. This isn't unique to Toronto and Detroit. It's all around baseball this weekend. We're in hug watch season. It's it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be potentially chaotic. Or maybe it's going to be slow and we'll be underwhelmed because everything waits until Monday or Tuesday. Uh, There have only been those couple of smaller deals. Andrew Benatendi, uh, Tyler Naquin. A little bit before that, there was the, uh, what was it, the Vogelbach one? Yeah, Um, not a lot has happened yet. The pitching market's still in the process of being established, but you're going to hear some things over the weekend. Jay's Talk Plus will be back on Monday. No holiday here. We'll be back in our three to five slot, by the way. We're done filling in in the five to seven. I've enjoyed the drive time, but we're back to three to five next week. Tuesday for the trade deadline. Be an extended Jays Talk Plus. We're going to do two to five that day. Uh, I'd imagine I'll probably be kicking around to hang with Ben Ennis in the drive time show a little bit after that anyway, since it is the deadline and the deadline's not until six o'clock. But Jays Talk Plus, back in your normal slot next week. One more reminder, Apple TV Plus game tonight. So no broadcast on the Sportsnet television side. Ben Wagner and Ben Nicholson-Smith will have the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 707 first pitch. We're only 13 minutes away. Uh, Show Ali with them and then Show Ali and Ben Nicholson Smith with Jay's talk for you post game. It's going to be a fun weekend. It's nice outside. It's a long weekend. The Jays might make a trade. They're playing a bad team. They're winning a lot of games. It's going to be a fun one. Uh, thank the, thanks to you guys uh, for listening. Thank you to JR and Andrew behind the glass. And of course, thank you to Caitlin McGrath, Sarah Langs, and Ben Wagner for joining us hope you all have just a terrific weekend and here's hoping that weekend starts with this blue jays lineup going off against brian garcia and hey maybe monday we'll have some new blue jays to talk about i've been blake murphy this is jays talk plus have a wonderful weekend 